Welcome to Vox Talks, a series of audio interviews with leading economists from around the world. My name is Ramesh Vaitalengam, and today's interview is with Gnort Wagner, lead senior economist at the Environmental Defence Fund in Washington, D.C. Gnort has co-authored a book with Marty Weitzman of Harvard University called Climate Shock, The Economic Consequences of a Hotter Planet. And I began our conversation by asking him what made this climate change book different. Most every book I've ever read is about what we know. This is about what we don't. In other words, risk and uncertainty drives the final result. What I really should say is we'll likely drive the final result. And of course, everything we know uh, does in fact point in that direction. Right? So what we know is bad, what we don't know is potentially much, much worse. At the end of the day, it is these surprises fat tales, unknown unknowns, that may well are most likely going to drive the final outcome. So you take from this that we need to act now rather than wait and see what happens with climate change. Exactly. It's risk management, right? <laughs> we're not talking about banning CO2. We're not talking about banning flights, let's say. We're talking about pricing the full cost of the damages that your flight is in fact causing. And then, well, Econ 101, right? Law of demand, that's all we've got, right? Price goes up, demand goes down. Works every single time. So how can we implement these practical solutions that economists have been talking about for many years and most other people seem to reject? I would actually, I wouldn't go quite that far. So, so yeah, I mean, it's certainly true we've talked about this for a while, right? So Piguvian taxation, right? And, yep, that's the solution, right? And Ireland is a good example in plastic bags, right? It's a slightly different dimension than from um, from global warming but yeah plastic bags I mean ask a seagull plastic bags are a real problem now what do you do right so on the one hand you can ban them and frankly you know when I put on my environmentalist hat why not these things are bad you just shouldn't be using them now it turns out I right, I live in a third floor walk-up apartment in a city guess what we use for our trash bags the plastic bags we get for free at the store getting them for free by the way is the problem right they provide a benefit to me the costs that those plastic bags cause are not infinite. That's what a ban would imply. But they do have costs, so charge those costs, right? And then Ireland did it, 15 euro cents per plastic bag. And guess what? Plastic bag use went down 90%. So the key thing here in, in, in climate change, I mean, that's one small environmental issue. Mm-hmm. But the big one, of course, is the carbon emissions and putting a price on carbon. How do we move progressively to putting a, a realistic price on carbon? Exactly the same principle, right? <laughs> so move from Ireland to Sweden. Right? Sweden has now had a price on CO2 to the tune of over $150 per ton of CO2. Right? And you know, ask the average Swede at night what do you think about, right? what do you talk about at the dinner, dinner table? Is it you know, the price of CO2? <laughs> Certainly not, right? Life goes on, turns out. Now, turns out it goes on in a much more decarbonized way, right? The Swedish heating sector, the Swedish electricity sector is essentially decarbonized as it would be with $150 per ton of CO2. But that's the point, right? You price CO2 and you move on. And which is also, by the way, where my optimism comes from. It's not about revamping capitalism. You are barking up the wrong tree if you say we need to stick it to the man. It's about sticking it to CO2. Now, in the book, you, you talk about geoengineering solutions to climate change, which some people, technologists and some economists, have, have been proponents of. Uh, give, give us your, a sense of why you think that that is a rather misguided view. What it is is a chemotherapy for the planet, a tracheotomy for the planet, right? Just because some experimental drug worked on a lab rat somewhere to delay the onset of lung cancer 
does not mean you should start smoking. You're talking about chemotherapy. And no, we're not talking about chemotherapy on you or me. We're talking about chemotherapy for the planet with unknown consequences, possibly unknowable consequences, probably unknowable consequences. It is just not an alternative for pricing CO2, decreasing emissions in the first place. You sketch out a, a scenario of a kind of a James Bond villain, a green finger rather than a gold finger, taking it all into his own hands to yep. come up with a uh, climate change solution through geoengineering. Explain what, what your thinking is there. The point here is, right, so from the economic sense, we have the free rider problem that has prevented us to do the sensible, take the sensible path on climate change policy in the first place. Free rider problem, of course, means that right, there's 7 billion of us or 1 billion of us high emitters who have caused the problem in the first place, chiefly responsible, um, and it is not in anyone's individual interest to go above and beyond and not emit anything. Now, that's the ethical choice. When you look at the economic forces, they are in fact working against you in doing that, and even if you take that ethical step, it's not going to be enough. Right? flip that exact same phenomenon, free rider effect, into the free driver effect for geoengineering. It is so cheap, relatively speaking, to you privately, not socially to the planet. There may be enormous costs of doing geoengineering, but for you privately, dumping sulfates, dumping crap into the stratosphere to reflect uh, sunlight, and doing it at scale given the enormous leverage that geoengineering, this kind of geoengineering, in fact, has, looking at those very, very low costs and the high leverage reverses the free rider effect into the free driver effect. And now we're in a situation where it may well be in the interest of one country, or well, one odd billionaire, I mean, I would emphasize the word odd here, but still, right, billionaire, <laughs> uh, to fly these 10 or so Learjets 24-7 with enough sulfur um, and, in fact, do some real damage. Final question, Gernot. You, you say you're generally optimistic. You, you propound an optimistic message to individual readers saying these are things you could do. Can you talk us through what those basic things are that the individual reader might do to further the ambitions that you would like to achieve? <laughs> I mean, there's two th sides to everything, right? So in, in our book, we have uh, chapter one, which is, by the way, called very pessimistically 911, right? This is a big, big problem. Uh, there's a section that says, no, we can't. Follow the immediate liberal section, yes, we can. Now, what is it that we can do? Now, first of all, the yes we can is in fact at the policy level that there's a lot, a lot of movement, right? India has a dollar per ton tax on coal, raising half a billion dollars to then be spent on subsidizing renewables, clean, lean technologies, right? That is absolutely good, right? China is experimenting with cap-and-trade, seven regional cap-and-trade trials at the moment, right? Europe has an emissions trading system. California has an even stronger emissions trading system, more comprehensive one. Plenty of other countries at the national level are doing the right thing. Just look at the U.S.-China deal of last fall that has done enormous good, has, in, has had enormous impact. Now, what can you do individually? Scream, cope, and profit. Now, scream in some sense is obvious, right? So this is a problem, let's do something about it. Don't just vote green, do the right thing. Cope is, well, this is the slightly less optimistic tack here, right? There's already enough global warming baked in, even if we stopped emitting CO2 today, which of course isn't in fact possible, but even if we did, there is still enough sea level rise, enough global warming baked in that we are in 
for a whole lot of hurt. Now, of course, you and I, right, we will be fine. We'll buy a second air conditioner. It's the poor who will suffer. That's the cope part. And the third, I wouldn't be surprised for two economists to write <laughs> or to conclude the book by saying profit. Now, there's, of course, a twist to this in the end, but the profit motive, the profit incentive is absolutely what has to drive action here. Right? This sort of goes back with, to the sort of capitalism versus the climate argument. At the end of the day, we know that we need to both invent and especially, of course, deploy new and also existing technologies to decrease emissions. And that is only possible if you channel market forces in the right direction, make it in the personal interest. And yes, people will become rich because of that. But, well, guess what? People are becoming rich today because they're pumping oil and burning it for the rest of us. What you want instead, of course, is to have going clean, going lean, moving toward the like, uh, high efficiency, low CO2 path be the profitable path. Good, Wagner. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.